Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sierra Bible Church. Come on in, grab a seat. Hi, Gigi, welcome back. Hugs to you. Nice to see familiar faces. And a lot of you, I've been here a few years, but I still don't know. Would love to say hi to you. Hi, Linda, I hope you're feeling better. Um, if this is your first time, welcome. These are crazy days we're living in, aren't they? I've talked to so many people who are really struggling just with the world situation and fires and like apocalyptic times right but through Jesus Christ we have the gospel which is grace power of God to overcome all of these things peace free from anxiety all the fears of the future we don't need to do that joy because of who Jesus is he's sovereign God is sovereign he's got a plan for us as his children and he loves us all the much more we should love him for that. Be wholehearted for Christ. Stand with me and let's sing. Let's have joy in spite of the stuff going on around us. We don't need to worry about that. God so loved. Feel free to put your hands together. Come all you weary. Come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy. Come to the table, he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. Ever believes in will live forever. 
that you sent us your son and we have freedom in you Lord hallelujah yes Lord you are so worthy worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever see. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my eyes in wonder and show. your heart Oh. 
Scripture with you this morning. It's a great promise for we are called and chosen by our Lord God. Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will able to will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's pretty amazing. You dance over me when I am unaware. You see But I never hear the sound Lord, I'm amazed by you Lord, I'm amazed by you Lord, I'm 
these things. That you love me, that you love all of your children here, that you love the world so that you gave your son. Father, we ask you to bless this time together as we fellowship. May your word speak to us this morning. Give us ears to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning. Everyone say, Jesus. Jesus. All right. Good to have you uh, with us this morning. 
Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jesse, part of the pastoral team here, and for the most part, get to teach. Didn't those gals sound great this morning? Um, and then, uh, I don't know if you noticed on the drums is Dave. He's, t- he's 10, right? <laughs> oh, he just turned 11 on Friday. Give him a hand, Dave, rocking on the drums. Thank you, Dave. That's awesome, man. Super glad to have uh, young people join in on the team, so it's good. Caleb, you did all right, too. You did okay, buddy. Um, Welcome. If uh, you are new, uh, we obviously, we're really grateful that you're here. We're glad to have you, and we've been kind of putting out there each week, uh, knowing that many people are moving to the area, that we want to be a place that welcomes you. Maybe you're checking us out online for the first time. Uh, We just want to say we'd love to have you. We love having you, and if you want to get plugged in, Uh, You can do that in two different ways that are really easy. Uh, The first one is we are handing out bulletins at at the the, kind of the whatever this entrance is. Um, I know that many of you probably don't see them and you're not receiving them, but if you are new, in the bulletin is a connect card. It'll help you uh, sign up for all the things that we have going on as far as our newsletter and things like that. It lets us know a little bit about yourself. So you can just fill that out, drop it off in one of the offering boxes in the back there. Uh, or you can go on your phone uh, or your tablet or, or whatever device you have and go to sbctrucky.com. That's our website. All of the things that we have going on uh, are on there. And then there's a place to sign up for the newsletter there if you want to see all the things that are happening. So make sure you get connected or you can contact the office. Uh, right now, I've kind of placed myself out there in this season uh, to just let you know that if you're new, I'd love to connect with you, love to get to know you. Just call the office and we can set something up. Um, and then, uh, and then a couple other things we have going on. Uh, all of our Bible studies are starting to kick off, so we're not uh, backtracking on those things. We're, we're getting them going. Uh, many of them will be uh, live, but uh, got a couple great women's studies. Laura Osnes is teaching. Uh, Rebecca Schroeder's got a great group uh, of younger gals that she pours into. Uh, there's other community groups that are starting. And then Men's Breakfast, I think, was that this Saturday or next Saturday? It's coming up. It was, it was yesterday. It was, how was it? All right. The five of you who were there, you loved it. All right. Uh, nine of you. Okay. We, we need more people. The men's breakfast, it was a bring your own breakfast kind of deal. So, you know, we're still trying to do some things that, that well, the world's weird and we just kind of go with it. Uh, but we're teaching the word and we're trying to love each other in that season. So that's, that's kicked back up. Some of you don't know about that. Uh, women's retreat is, is coming up. You can sign up for that if you want to go. Um, uh, and then uh, another thing I want to let you uh, be aware of is, we support a ministry that's kind of under the umbrella and accountability of Sierra Bible Church called Foster the Sierras. Michaela is going to share a little bit next week uh, about it, but Foster the Sierras helps families in our area foster and adopt children. Many of the families, uh, many families in our church have actually participated in this, and, and you've, you've done that. You've fostered, you've adopted, uh, and we are just blessed to be a part of that ministry. Uh, one of the ways that, that uh, we raise funds for that every year is through a, a golf tournament. That got canceled this year, and so there's a, a chunk of funds there that they're not receiving, uh, and we use those funds to help those families foster their kids and, and all of that, and so if you want to give to that and on the offering envelopes that you can get down there, uh, just fill out that it's for Foster the Sierras. We'll make sure those funds get uh, to Michaela and her group, and um, uh, and then this morning, I'm going to ask John Drollinger to come on up, so John, you ready, buddy? John, come on up, and then... If you're an elder or a deacon, I, I want you to come on up too. Uh, Brad, I don't know if you have the ability to do that and do sound. I, if you ever see someone standing back there like Brad with an iPad, uh, he's actually controlling the sound. So we're very high tech here. 
So if you remember a few weeks ago, it's been three weeks now, um, I mentioned to you that we uh, have had John interning. Uh, this one's John here. And this this is great. You guys not standing next to me, making me feel short. This is awesome. Um, so the ongoing joke, my my height. And, uh, and so John... Um, John has been interning as uh, an elder at our church here, and we want to bring him on as part of a, our team of elders. And so uh, we brought him up a few weeks ago. We said, hey, if, if there's anything uh, that, that you feel that would keep John from leading, that you feel that would keep him from shepherding uh, our church, you should talk with him. And so far as I know, nobody confronted him, right? So it's... <laughs> Okay, um, and so we, we're going to pray for him, and he's going to join our elder team. And just so you know, our elders help lead our church, guide our church, pray for our church, help hold me accountable, uh, and, and help me f- facilitate and shepherd and pastor all of you. So this is a man that you can look to for spiritual guidance. We believe in him, spiritual wisdom, biblical wisdom. And so would you join with me as we pray uh, for John, and uh, we're going to lay hands on him, and then this is it. You're, you're officially responsible. Don't lean too far forward, I'll follow. Okay. Lord, um, I'm just so thankful in the season that you're still raising up leaders for your glory. Thank you for John. Thank you that in this season of hardship, you've raised up a man who's willing to lead and to take responsibility for your people, for teaching your word. Lord, this is, this is a heavy responsibility. It's not a light one. And he does it of free will, Lord. He's not being... Uh, compulsed to do this, Lord, but you've placed it upon his heart. And so we just ask that you would bless him. We ask that you would empower him. We ask, Lord, that you would keep him free from sin, that you would protect his family, and that he would have wisdom to continue to lead not only our church, but also his family. So guard them and protect them as well, Lord. And we trust you and we place him in your hands. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Give him a hand. Thank you, guys. Okay. Um, Exodus chapter 37 this morning is where we're going to be. So uh, we've, we've been journeying through this book now. We started it before the whole COVID thing hit. So we've been in it well before March. I can't remember exactly how many weeks. Uh, and, and now well, I'm going to cover chapter 37 and chapter 38 and then next week chapter 39 and chapter 40. So next week we'll actually conclude our series in Exodus and then we're going to move into the book of 1 Timothy. And so down at the info booth, you know, each time we do a new book in the Bible, we provide these ESV journals of that particular book. So we have a few for sale for you if you want to participate in that. I know many of you uh, have your Exodus one and you use your Exodus one, and that's, that's great. Um, now, just remember here that, that God has brought his people out of bondage. He, he's literally brought them out of slavery, and he has brought them out of of Egypt out of that place in which there was false uh, gods and false worship. Uh, They were enslaved. They were persecuted. They were looked down on as less than. If you remember, the firstborn of every child uh, under under Pharaoh was to be thrown in the Nile River, every firstborn male. Uh, And so if you can imagine the hardship that they experienced, and then for God to bring Moses to this place where Moses leads them out of Egypt, and he's leading them towards the promised land, and, and the reality here is that God is now at this point and, and continually in, in the previous chapters, he is not so concerned about getting the people out of Exodus, uh, or I'm sorry, out of Egypt, but getting Egypt out of the people. 
Uh, and so for us, we recognize something as Christians, right? When, when we come to a place of saving faith, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and some of you are new in that. Like our church is pretty neat because it's pretty diversified. Some of you are just so anchored so deep in your faith. Uh, some of you come because your wife makes you come. Uh, some of you are coming because you're checking things out. Some of you have been coming over the last couple years and your faith is still growing. And what happens when you come into saving faith with Jesus Christ, you first of all, you recognize the simplicity of the gospel. That is to recognize that, that we are sinners. It, it's to come to that place of admitting that without God, we struggle and we make a mess of our lives. That's ultimately the reality of, of why our nation is in the place that it is today. It, it, it's, it's not because of politics. It's because of sin. It's because, it's because inside of our hearts, ultimately, we want to serve ourself. There's no greater false god than the god of self. To want to rule your own life. To want to decide for yourself how you'll live, how you'll spend your money, what you will do, and what you won't do. That, that is the, the, the most demonic god that we could ever speak of is the god of self. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, uh, here, here is Eve and Adam, and, and they're told you can have everything. You see this beautiful place? You can have everything that you want. There's just this one tree over there. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you go to that, your, your, your whole life is going to be ruined. And yet, the God of self, the, the serpent deceiving, I must have this one thing. Isn't, isn't that how we are? We all want the one thing we can't have. And then when we get it, we want the other thing we can't have. I actually uh, was listening to a psychologist say that, that, that the, the desire of, of, of wanting something, that like right before you get it, is actually stronger, it creates more endorphins than actually getting the thing. That's why we love Amazon. I'm serious. Because we order it and we get this endorphin like, I ordered something. And then you get two days. But now they're, they're working with the United States Postal Service, which is horrible, so now it's taking a week. So now you get a week, and the day before you get it, you actually have an increased... Uh, amount of serotonin that is actually better than when you actually receive the thing. This is the God of self. And so God has been trying in the, this whole series uh, uh, in Exodus, he's working on making his people distinct, making his people unique. God is revealing himself to his people, and he's revealing to his people what it is to actually be his people. And God really is concerned with, I think, three different things. Number one, he's concerned with making us distinct. He's also concerned with showing us his great glory. Good timing. If all of you would check your keys and hit that panic button, we'd be appreciative. All right. So God's been glorified. There it is. That's the trumpet. And... I don't know if you heard it online, but the a car emergency thing went off. Um, he's concerned with, number one, he, he's concerned with glorifying himself, bringing us joy, and giving us salvation. God wants to be glorified. He, he wants to be magnified. And so the whole, the, 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 these chapters that we've been reading about the temple and the tabernacle being raised, the tabernacle which will later become the temple being raised up and all of the gold that isn't. You remember last week I mentioned that just in gold alone, there's over $60 million today's U.S. currency inside this tent. 
the gold, the jewels, the, the, the special wood. We were told in the last chapter all of the beautiful material that it took to build this beautiful ark because God wants to be glorified. I've had Christians who, who've been saved for three, four, five years have come to me and said, Jesse, I actually am wrestling with this idea that God wants to be glorified, like, like he's some kind of egomaniac. And I think, I think that's, that, that's natural for us because, because we, we, we want to be glorified, right? That's the God of self, again, that God's trying to get out of him. But see, God is the only one that when, when we give him glory, we get joy. See, he'd be an egomaniac if it just, it's just all about me. But the reality is, is he created you to be so attached to him that you will not find full satisfaction and joy unless you are glorifying God. So again, our culture is dismantled and it's broken because it isn't in the business. Our world is not in the business. Our society is not in the business of glorifying God, is it? No, it's in the business of glorifying anything and everything else. The self, the freedom that you're supposed to have. And so God, again, he, he's, he's in this position. And listen, I'm setting all of this up, backstory into where I want to be this morning in these chapters. Because these chapters really... I actually could just skip them. I could just skip them. And that was an idea that I, that I had. I could skip them uh, and not teach them. And the reason for it is if you look at chapter 37, I'm not going to read these the way that I normally would. Uh, I'm just going to show you some of the beginning of the paragraph so you get an idea of what's happening in chapter 37 and in chapter 38. Most of the time when a preacher teaches this particular section, oftentimes he will teach it alongside of Exodus 25, 26, and 27. So these chapters are almost uh, repetitive, but, but, but they're not. There's two different things happening here. In chapters 25 through 27, God is giving the instructions on how the tabernacle should be made. This is what you need. This is how you're going to build it. This is how long it is. This is how tall it'll be. All of those instructions, all those details are in 25 through 27. In chapters 37, 38, and part of 39 are are them actually doing it and building it, okay? So previous chapters, here's how you do it. These chapters, obedience. Chapters 25 through 27, God gives his word. He says, this is how you are to do this, and then they are obedient to it. So just take a look here. I'm not gonna have you stand this morning because I just wanna go through some of these quickly. Look at chapter 37, verse one. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood, and he tells us how he did it. Go to verse 10 of chapter 37. He also made the table of acacia wood. Then he gives its length. Look at verse 17. He made the lampstand of pure gold. Verse 25. He made the altar of incense of acacia wood. Jump down to verse 29. He made the holy anointing oil also. Chapter 38, verse 1. He made the altar. Jump further down into chapter 38, verse 9. And he made the court. And it goes on and on in regards to how these things were made. So what's, what's the big idea this morning? The big idea this morning is obedience to God's word brings us glory and joy. Obedience to God's word gives us joy and it glorifies God, the two things that connect together. So here's ultimately what I want to connect with 25 and 27. God's word goes forth. And when God's word goes forth as Christians, one of the things that makes us distinct is that we adhere to, we believe in, and we place ourselves under the ultimate authority of God's word. Amen? That's one of the things that, that, 
that you hear at Sierra Bible Church often, right? As Wayne says before, that's the Bible's in the middle of our name, so we kind of need to make it a big deal. But it's not because it's in the middle of our name that we make it a big deal. It's on our name because the word is a big deal. God has revealed himself to us. Now, this is important because statistics, especially Barna, I don't know if you're familiar with Barna, but Barna does all kinds of research on Christianity, evangelical Christianity as a whole in the United States of America. Represents a lot of different uh, denominations, a lot of different Christians. But here's the deal. The, the, the deal is statistically, we are told that, that the knowledge of the Bible, adhering to the Bible, and the authority of the Bible are all on a downward spiral by and large in the U.S. In fact, uh, I have mentioned over the weeks, right, if you're coming from San Francisco, we want you here. We'd love for you to be here. Uh, and the, one of the reasons is, I don't know if you know this or not, but Barna says that San Francisco is one of the worst biblically-minded cities in the country. Now, we, we, we kind of associate San Francisco with liberality and all that, right? Well, out of 100 cities, San Francisco is 94th. Okay, that means there's only six other cities in our nation that think less biblically in our nation. So San Francisco is a big one. Barna says 10% of Christian 20-somethings, 10%. Okay, if you're, if you're in your 20s or if you're about to enter into your 20s, I don't know what that was. If you're about to enter into your 20s, Barna tells us that 10% have resilient faith. 10%. I mean, you take 120-somethings who say they believe in Jesus, within the next 10 years, only 10% of them, that's 10 of them, will continue to believe in the Word of God. Barna also says 5% of the population uses the Bible frequently to inform their choices. 5% to inform our choice. So to me, per personally for me, it's no wonder our country is a mess. If only 5% of us are using the word of God and its truth and its grace and its love and its compassion and its teachings from Jesus and our ability to conform our lives to the life of Jesus, that we would end up in such a mess. Spurgeon actually tells us he's a old dead guy now, but this isn't just a new issue, by the way, right? This isn't something that's new to us. It's been happening for a long time. Spurgeon actually said about uh, Christians in his church, and he had one of the largest churches uh, there ever was. He had the first megachurch, many pastors argue. Spurgeon said this to his congregation, there is dust enough on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. They were really politically correct back then. I mean, how, how well used is your Bible? <laughs> when it comes to decision-making, how good are you at actually reading it in such a way to know how it would guide you and direct you? How good are you when you get emotional and you get angry and you get frustrated before acting, allowing the Word of God to filter through your brain before you act and before you do? I, mean, I don't know how good you are. I know for me, uh, one of the things I do when I get really angry now because I've struggled with anger almost my whole life. I've had to step back in a season of anger and frustration and just filter through what verses I know. For instance, you know the Bible says about anger? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay. So if I've got an anger problem, the Bible says that anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. That means if I'm going to produce righteousness, I've got to control my anger. Now, when you have the Spirit of God in you, 
when you are being conformed as the people of Israel are being conformed to be a distinct people. Now, you are the church, you are to be distinct, you are to be unique, you should be listening and caring for and desiring the word of God in a way that the rest of the world just doesn't possess. And then when your mind and your heart is illuminated to the word of God, you hear it and, and you desire it in a way that's different than the rest of the world. I mean, Hebrews tells us about the word of God. You know this verse if you've been in church for any length of time, that the word of God is living and it's active. This sucker's alive. You want to know why? Because when you read the Bible, it's not so much about reading the Bible as much as it is about the Bible reading you. You got to let that scripture, when you're reading it, pierce down into your life, pierce down into your soul, change the way that you think. You, you've heard this line before. It's just, it's just a good line, but you've heard it before, I know. And, and some of you bear with me if you've been here for a few years. You're like, here's that line again. But if you disagree with something that's in the Bible, it's because you're wrong. You know that, right? I mean, that's like Christianity 101. It isn't, I'm going to read this thing and I'm going to change it to, to fit culture. It's no, I'm going to read it to make culture adapt to it. It has the authority. It's spoken. It's, it's God. So, so let me just share with you some of the things that I think that we need to do in response to the word, right? Because this, again, this is the big idea of what I'm trying to do between Exodus uh, 25 through 27 and 35 through 38. We hear God's word and we obey God's word. It brings joy and obedience. One of the things that we need to do in regards to hearing the word of God is we need, as Christians, to fight, to believe in faith in God's word and his promises over a long period of time. I know that might be a lengthy statement. Let me say it again. One of the responses as Christians is, is we desire to be distinct, is we must fight to believe in faith in God's word and its promises over a long period of time. How many of you are patient? All right, three of you. Hey, congratulations, man. I, that's statistically probably correct. Um, the golden calf issue, you remember when, when Moses is on top of the mountain, he's hearing from God. He's getting God's word. He's getting the Ten Commandments. So here he is. He's on the top of the mountain. He's experiencing God. He, he's in the presence of God. It's, it's a frightening moment. The, there's clouds, and there's thunder, and there's earthquakes. And the people down below, Egypt isn't totally out of them. They don't know where Moses is. They're delaying. They know the words of God. They've heard the words of God that they are going to be a distinct people, a new people, brought out of slavery into the promised land, and yet all of a sudden they forget. They're not fighting in faith for the word of God. They're not fighting for the promises of God. They start to doubt in the midst of their little trial and tribulation. They start to doubt the word of God. So what do they do? They make a golden calf and they worship it. The golden calf issue the idol worship issue that we have is because we have a tendency at times, at moments, even periodically throughout the day, to doubt the promises of God, to doubt the goodness of God. George Mueller actually said this. He said, in order to enjoy the word, we ought to continue to read it. And the way to obtain a spirit of prayer is to continue praying. For the less we read the word of God, the less we desire to read it, and the less we pray, the less we desire to pray. His whole encouragement is that, that if you read your Bible more, you'll want to read it more. And so we must find ways to build in the, in the rhythm of our life moments where we're listening to or we're reading or we're meditating on God's word. Now remember, in this definition I shared here that, that we have 
uh, have to fight for faith in the word and its promises over a long period of time, this is going to require the long period of time an amazing amount of patience. You know God's not fast, right? I mean, do you remember how much time they spend wandering in the desert? 40 years. 40 years. And we're over here going, when's this pandemic going to be over? 40 years. When are we going to get back to normal? You, you, like, can we be honest? I was having this conversation earlier today. I've had this conversation about normal actually over the last couple months. Was normal really good for us? Was normal good for the church? Whatever that normal is. I mean, I know, I know normal means all kinds of different things. You remember my encouragement months ago, before you come back to church, come back to God. I mean, we're here, we're distinct. We, we, we had three months where we weren't open. Now we're outside. And when it comes, when it's cold enough, we're going to go back inside. We're going to worship Jesus. And, and we should be coming with grateful, open hearts, with a heart that's like, God is good in the midst of pain and suffering. The only way you get through 40 years in the desert, the only way you get through cancer, the only way you get through a divorce, the only way you get through a rebellious child is to see that the glory of heaven is greater than the sufferings of today. It's to have an eternal mindset. How is it that Christians are to count it all joy when they encounter various trials? How do we do that? (laughs) Well, when you read the word of God, you get an eternal view. This life is a blip. You're here one day, and then you're gone. James says the same thing. It's, it's smoke. It's vapor. It's dust. From dust you came. From dust you will return. My friends, is it really worth pursuing all of the worldliness and all that the world has to offer for the next 80 years when you are going to spend eternity in the kingdom of heaven? That's where our faith has to be. And your faith grows strong when you read the word over a long period of time. One pastor says it like this, there's no silver magic bullet or magic pill, but there is, I love this here, but there is faithfulness, submitting to the word of God and living out our faith in the day, in the ins and outs of the Mondays, the Tuesdays, the Wednesdays, the Thursdays, the Fridays, the Saturdays, and the Sundays. We believe that over time, God does really beautiful things. Nobody becomes a patriarch or a matriarch who doesn't do it that way. You can't die with a legacy of faithfulness without spend a lot of time just being faithful in ordinary things. Did you hear that? I mean, some of you, uh, I believe, are grinding it out doing homeschooling, yeah? Yeah? You're, it's a grind. Hey, my wife has done it before. I know it's a grind, not because she complains, but because every now and then I come home during school hours, And I go back to work voluntarily, let me tell you. Uh, God bless my wife's soul. And she even said it, I think she said it to me uh, last night because Sunday marks the first day of the week for us, right? Sunday, we get God's grace under the word of God. And then, man, you know what? Sunday is Monday and then Tuesday. And she said, she said to me last night, I'm not ready for Monday. Just mentally. Right, but what, what, what this pastor is saying is when it comes to the ordinary things, and, and again, I'm trying to attach this to just reading God's word, it, sometimes, man, you, you just do Monday, and God's good on Monday, even in the ordinary. God's good on Tuesday in the ordinary. God is good 
on Wednesday in the ordinary and Thursday. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's okay to glorify God in the ordinary, and it's kind of the world's way with social media and the news and all that, that every day's got to be extraordinary. Every day's got to be a concert. Every day's got to be awesome. What if God is glorified in just men and women faithfully showing up, faithfully loving their kids, faithfully loving their wife, faithfully showing up to work, faithfully just every, just grind it out. And when it's all said and done over a long period of time, guess what happens? We eventually come to the church age. 2,000 years later. You remember a lot of these guys who wrote this stuff, Moses, were told they longed to see the Messiah. And, and they didn't get to see him. You know what's really crazy to tie this in just completely with Exodus? Moses, if you remember, he goes through this and he has some moments of failed leadership. You read it in Deuteronomy, he, he screws up. God tells him, be obedient in this way. And instead, Moses was obedient in his own way. He, he served himself over God. And God comes to Moses and says, Moses, got some bad news for you today. Because you forgot how holy I am and how glorious I am. You, you had a moment of lapse. You won't be going to the promised land. Joshua's going to take over, and Joshua's going to take the people there. You imagine how heartbreaking that probably was for Moses? I mean, I've been in leadership. I, I, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to, to hear God say, you're going to be this great nation. And then right up before that moment of becoming a great nation, God says, you're done. But do you remember what happens in the New Testament? Over 2,000 years later, Jesus takes a couple of his closest disciples to the top of a mountain. Do you remember? And Jesus is transfigured. That is to say, there's, he's physical, but he's not physical. There's this spiritual moment. And who shows up on the top of the mountain with him? Moses. Moses had to wait 2,000 years. To get to this place where he experienced Jesus on earth, what a beautiful moment. And my friends, the word gives us this promise. It lets us know as a church who we actually are and that one day, yes, this life is hard, but one day we'll all be in heaven as Moses was on the mountain with Jesus. You remember what happens in the rest of that story? I love that story. Peter is just enjoying himself because that's what Peter does. Peter's in the moment. You remember what Peter says? He's like, Moses built a tent. We should build a tent. Let's live here. We're on top of the mountain. Moses is here. Jesus is here. We, let's, dude, let's just live here. It's like some of you Christians who are like, let's all go to Idaho, and we'll create our own community, and we won't talk to the rest of the world. You've thought it. <laughs> You've thought about it. That's what Peter wanted to do, but he wanted to stay on the mountain. And what does Jesus do? He goes, no way. And as soon as he goes down the mountain, what does he encounter? A demonic man who's been oppressed, and Jesus heals him and frees him because there's still work to be done. My friends, we, we can't disengage from the world because the Bible teaches us to be in the world, not of the world, and engage the sinner and engage the lost, engage the broken so that they can come to know who Jesus is. See, we've got to fight because it's just too easy for us to forget who we are. Some of you remember, um, some of you might remember uh, the story of Netflix. Right? How many of you used to get the red envelope? Yeah, quite a few of you. How many of you still get the red envelope? You're silly. There's this thing called the internet. Um, 
And uh, anyways, I remember when we first got it. You remember how Netflix blew up, right? Netflix, they had this great idea, so they went to Blockbuster. You remember the story? Hey, Blockbuster, we got this thing. We can, you can go mail. And Blockbuster was like, that's archaic. And so they kicked him to the curb. A little bit later, Netflix said, actually, we got a really great idea. We, we could stream it, and if you could partner with us, we can sell you part of the company, yada, yada, right? You know the story. Blockbuster said no. And, and you know, right, how many, when was the last time you went to a Blockbuster? There isn't one. I think there's one left somewhere, some podunk town in Texas, but if you're in Texas, forgive me. Um, and the reason was because Blockbuster thought they were in the rental business, but they weren't. They were in the entertainment business. They forgot their identity. And all of, all of you know, right, now, now, now it's, it, it, you know, Netflix blew up and became this huge thing that all of us had. And, and now you know that Netflix is, is under some scrutiny, scrutiny for a bad decision to put things on their streaming network that shouldn't be there. I know many of you have stopped subscribing. My wife uh, and I are in conversations to do the same. Many people have gotten rid of Netflix. But th the point isn't to, to talk about Netflix or to talk about Blockbuster. The point is, is if you forget who you are, you will make bad decisions. And the word of God conforms us to the identity of God. He's trying to make his people distinct. Another quote says, when you forget who you are and what you're supposed to be doing, really bad things happen. And when the church forgets who she is, that it's a community of faith. If the church is this loose band of people, listen carefully now, this loose band of people who attend every week to hear an hour's worth of preaching, teaching, and singing, we're outside of the balance of how Christianity functioned and flourished for two millennia. But what is he saying in there? He's saying, he's saying, you know what? The church is not just about the gathering, but the church must gather as a church of faith under the word of God that they wouldn't just attend every week and sing and hear the preaching, but they would actually do church. I mean, my friends, is, is this not a season for us to let the light shine? A season to love our neighbor, to respond differently because the call of the church is not a call to come. Do you know that? I mean, yeah, we, we're saying to people who are moving in the area, we, we'd love to have you here, but you need to listen carefully, my friends. The church has never been about just coming. It's about belonging. It's about being part of a community. Church is not, listen to this, it's not a political affinity group. The gospel is powerful enough to create a diverse family of sinners who have one thing in common, Jesus, Simon the Zealot, Levi the tax collector, would have never been in the same room if it was not for Jesus' words to both of them, follow me. Now, I know maybe in our language or in the language of the Bible here, the, the zealot and the tax collector, maybe that's lost on you, but these are very two politically different extreme people. Or you see the kind of people that Jesus brings together in the New Testament. They are from all over the place. You know what unites us? The word of God to us to follow him. I mean, can we... Can we put some things aside on a Sunday every now and then and just say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. 
I'm going to talk to you about your political leanings. I want you to know the person of Jesus. Do we want to fix the world or divide it more? We fix the world how? By preaching the gospel of Jesus, which is that he loves you enough to have died on the cross for your sins that you would be reconciled to himself. The church must be a people that is reconciled to himself, yeah? I mean, can we, can we just shut off the bantering, the complaining, the arguing, the dividing? Hey, are you pro-mask or no-mask? I'm Jesus. I'm, not that I'm Jesus, <laughs> but I'm for Jesus. Well, what would Jesus do? Oh, my goodness. Are we going to really, you want to go there? Yeah, but lives are at stake. Yeah, yeah, but souls are at stake. Souls are at stake. We want people to be healthy physically. But you know what? If you die tomorrow and you know Jesus, you win. You win, folks. Here's the thing that you need to be. Bold and not fearful. I'm pleading with you. We do not need a culture of fear. We need a culture of faith-filled people who trust and the eternal promises of Jesus. Are you worried about getting COVID? Shame on you. And I'm not saying that as, I'm not, I'm, seriously, I'm not, I, I'm not saying it to rebuke. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to encourage you that you do not have anything to be afraid of because if Jesus is for you, who can be against you? Are we really worried about dying? I just, I just got to tell you, I got to tell you, my friends, the early church wasn't. They weren't. If we were the early church, Paul would be out here dragging us into that field and murdering us in front of the community to say, how dare you worship this false god? I mean, seriously, let's not be fearful. Why? Because you have the eternal promises of God's word for you and your soul. Oh, yeah, wear the mask and make people feel comfortable. That's fine. Wash your hands, please, especially after you use the bathroom. I mean, do those things. Protect people, pray for people, be sensitive to where you need to be sensitive towards people. But my friends, we have no reason to be afraid. You don't have to be worried about your kids. You don't have to be worried about your grandparents. Those things are in God's hands. I'm sorry if I'm too rough feel like a parent this moment right trying to correct and guide my kids and I feel like in a couple hours I'm going to think about how I used my words and then I'll have to come back and apologize for them you know I think it's time for us to meditate on God's word to meditate on his promises so that we're not fearful you know what Isaiah 41 says Fear not, I'm, I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. Why? Because I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. What does Psalm 32 say? I'll instruct you and I'll teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my loving eye upon you. What does Matthew eleven twenty eight say? I will give you rest. Isaiah 40 says that he will give strength to the weary. Other promises in the Bible tells us that his love is forever, that his grace is bigger than our sin, that he's actually in heaven praying for us right now, and that he has given you a helper 
and my friends that he is coming back again. Amen? Someone asked me, when's he returning? And I said, hopefully today. Right now. So here's my overall encouragement. You have to do the word. You have to read it. You have to meditate on it. You have to love it. You have to long for it. But ultimately what we're being told here, really in the last three, four chapters, and if you, if you have the ability to kind of just take these last four chapters and, and kind of lift them up and say, what's unique about these four chapters that's almost unique in all the rest of the Old Testament, it, it's that, that the people are actually being obedient. It's one of the first times, really, and one of the only times, really, in the Old Testament where we just see obedience. They heard God's word, and they're doing what they're told to do. They've given the gold. They've given the jewelry. They've given the wood. They've contributed, and now, now it's being built. Now they're actually doing it, and the world needs to see that we're not just about talking about the word, but that we really live out the word. I mean, isn't that what the book of James tells us? We went through the book of James together. The book of James tells us that we're to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only, because if you're, if you're not a, a doer, then you're that person who looks in the mirror. This is the analogy he gives you. You look in the mirror, and you, you see the blemish on your face, and you walk away, and you forget. I mean, it brings me back to my teenage years when I used to break out in acne. You know, knowing I might have a date that night, and you guys remember that? You look, and you got a big old zit on your head, and you think to yourself, well, i got to do something about that. And so you attempt to do something about it, and you make it worse. And if you're a dude, you don't have makeup to cover it up, so it's just going to be a bad date. But he says, if you read the Word and you don't do it, you're like looking in the mirror, you see that thing, and you go, oh, it'll take care of itself, and you just forget about it. It's foolish. What kind of things should we do? Well, you, you remember last week, last week's whole message was on generosity. You know what's interesting about generosity? Everybody loves the idea of generosity, until they're asked to be generous. It means that we need to do relationships well. The most important relationship is the vertical relationship because it informs our horizontal relationships. It means that that we take our relationship with Jesus seriously. We need to be intimate with Jesus, which means when we read the text, we recognize, as Jesus said, all of the Bible points towards Jesus. We, We don't read the Bible just to be informed with Ideas, we, we read the Bible to find Jesus in the Bible. He's a person. He's not just ideas. It means you shape and pattern your life around the word, not the world. You shape your pattern of life around the word. One of the talents my wife has is shaping our mornings, shaping our evenings around just talking about the word of God. She went through the whole Apostles' Creed with our kids in the mornings for a season. Every now and then we'll sit down and she'll read a section of scripture and and then she'll ask me as the father, she'll say, okay, Jess, now tell the kids how this ties into the gospel. And then I get to share that story ties in with the grace of God. Shape your life around the word of God. Show your kids that you read it. And then the fourth thing, it means that we need to be unleashed in the world to even do things that are very difficult. You have to see yourself as not just a gathering of saints on a Sunday. But once we leave here, we're scattered into all of our different spheres. All of you know people, and hopefully, hopefully this morning, 
you're going to leave here and you're going to say, I don't need to be fearful, but I can be faith-filled. I can live my life and I can glorify Jesus. That, that's a hope. That's a goal. And I hope you feel emboldened. I, I pray that you feel emboldened, strengthened, that your faith and your backbone, your spiritual backbone is strong. But when you scatter into this world, all of you know people who are fearful, don't you? You know why there's rioting? Do you know why people are picketing? Do you know why people are responding the way they are? They're scared. They're afraid. And they feel powerless. So they feel they must do something, even if it's violent. What's our response as a church? It's to love our enemies, is it not? It's to hug and embrace those who are scared. It's to step into their world. It's to see them, as I said a few weeks ago or last week or whenever it was, to see people as sheep without a shepherd and to weep for those people. We don't do ourselves any favors if we just get angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Are you angry at the way that things have gone politically? Are you angry at the governor? Are you angry? It won't produce the righteousness of God. You know what produces the righteousness of God? Grace, empathy, compassion, serving your neighbor. Do the word. Yeah? Let's pray. And the team will come on up and we'll close in a last song or two. And Oh, man. What a, what a day and age to be a leader. As I pray, I do hope, you know, I got my own emotions. I have my own things in, in my heart. I do hope that, um, I hope you hear I really hope you hear my heart. <laughs> and to be honest with you, even as I say that, like, like knowing uh, my own frailty and my own sin, um, I, I, don't, I, I even feel like those aren't the right words. I don't want you to hear my heart. <laughs> I mean, I do, but I don't. I, I want you to hear Jesus' heart. One of the things I have to do in faith every time I stand at this, as, as Wayne calls it, holy desk, those weird churchy words, the holy desk. Someone, someone in the church calls my wife the first lady. She likes that. She doesn't, so you should call her that. This would be funny. Um, I don't want you to hear just from myself, I want you to hear from the Lord. And, and every Sunday, I have to stand up here in faith as a sinner who's imperfect with an imperfect knowledge of God's word. This has been a season where my humanity has never felt more real in my entire life. That I am truly just flesh and blood. And each week, I have to trust that somewhere in the midst of my frailty, in the midst of my brokenness and stupidity, that the Holy Spirit is going to cut through my flesh 
and minister to your soul. It's a tremendous privilege to stand up before you. But my friends, I am, I am weak. And yet I am encouraged when Jesus says that he is made strong in our weakness. And so where I fail and where I have failed and where I've messed up and where I've not communed correctly, please forgive me. And just be a people of God's word. And when I miss that, you can text me, you can email me, you can come in, you can smack me around and you can point me straight. Because I'm no different than you. I am a sinner in need of saving grace. And together we are a community of people who are made perfect because of his righteous blood, not because of anything we do. So again, I really pray that you hear God's word every Sunday. Lord, as we close in song, I thank you that no matter what, that you are made glorified, that you are made perfect, that you are worthy of worship. I thank you, Lord, that we are here and gathering, and I pray that you would do a work in us, that we would be your people. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for our neighbors to my right and behind me to hear from you, to get a, a glimpse into what church life is like. I would pray for your spirit to go forth in those buildings and in those rooms, Lord, that they would hear the call of salvation, that they would not want to just stay hidden in there, Lord, but they would love to come on over and be a part of this great community of sinners saved by grace. But we know none of these things can, can happen in our own power. We need you. So we trust your spirit. We trust your strength. We trust you. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jesse. I'm so grateful that we have a pastor that points us to, to Jesus and his word. I'm not going to be smacking you around. <laughs> I'm thanking you for pointing us in the right direction, for pointing us to God's word. Would you stand with us? As we go through our ordinary days during the week, let's remember that we have a choice to trust in God our Father, trust in Jesus his Son, to have faith in him, keep our eyes up, lifted up toward the Lord. Let's get your country on this morning and celebrate with joy. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. To trust in Jesus Just to take him at his word Just to rest upon his promise Just to know, just saith the Lord i
Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him.
again for showing them the last night. Don't worry. And then we got Cola. Yeah. I'm glad we're not sitting in audio <laughs> at the same time, so my pleasure. <laughs> Okay, you want to grab my guitar?